absolutely. It depends on the uh, COR of the flagstick, so the Coefficient Restitution flagstick. In U.S. Opens, I'll take it out, and uh, every other tour event, when it's uh, fiberglass, I'll leave it in and bounce that ball against the flagstick if I need to. Welcome back, podcast patrons, to another episode of Leave the Pin Podcast. Now, as always, I'm your host, Dan. And I got an awesome guest here tonight. I got my buddy Nick Biondi, who is prepping for PGA Tour, Latino America Q School. Just got down to Florida. He's a uh, Northeast PA guy. So we got a lot in common. We're going to spend the next 45 minutes, hour or so chatting and kind of giving you an insight as to what it's like to prep for your first Q School ever and, and how to start slowly making headway out onto the PGA Tour. Nick, what's the good word? Everything's good, man. It's uh, good to be on the pod. And, uh, Excited to get going into next week for the uh, Latin Q School down at Mission Inn, El Campion, uh, Inn and Resort. So we're uh, we're getting ready to go, man. All right. So that is coming up, I mean, within days, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tuesday to Friday, January 7th to the 10th, 2020. Can't believe we're into 2020 now. So, so give me, give me some insight into your headspace. Like, where are you at right now mentally with, with this coming up? Uh, so headspace is really good. I've actually played uh, a couple Q schools in the past. This is my first Latin. I played Canada once as an amateur um, and once as a professional. And then I've played web.com, Corn Ferry Tour now. I've played that uh, one time in the pre-qualifying. But my headspace right now is really good. I feel really confident, um, just, just really ready to go, uh, excited for a big week. And, and I'm meeting up with some of my coaches over the next couple of days to try and prepare a little bit. And uh, I'm I'm confident and I'm I'm ready to rock, man. I'm excited. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I can hear it in your voice. Uh, you and I have played around together before, so I, I know how kind of an easygoing guy you are on the course. Does sure. that change when it gets to to this level? A little bit, yeah. Because uh, you're just you're playing for your job. So uh, casually, it's a little bit of a different ball game. Uh, but into competition, everyone's a little bit more hyper focused. You could say. Um, and everyone's just trying to, to play at a very high level. So it's a, it's a little bit of a difference, uh, in speaking, how, how much you talk, how much you eat on a golf course, what you're kind of looking for in terms of second shots and chipping and pitching. And, and you're really, you're pretty hyper-focused on what you need to do. So, but good shot or bad shot, my personality really doesn't change. I just try and give it my best, uh, on every swing and, uh, just see what happens. Yeah, so I kind of know the answers to these things already because, you know, I've, I've picked your brain a ton when, when we were together. But yeah. for all the, all the listeners out there that kind of don't have an insight as to what it's like to prep for a Q school, can you kind of give us a breakdown of, you know, let's say what happened at the end of, you know, the end of Northeast PA golf season, which was a good month, month and a half ago or so, and, and how you transitioned down to Florida and, and – just those little things that I guess those behind the scene things that people don't, don't kind of really think about. Yeah. Like the yeah. travel prepping yeah. food, things along those lines, you know? So, um, we'll start with, uh, just getting down here and, and, and getting acclimated back to Florida. Right. Uh, this is my second and my second winter down here. Um, but I left kind of first week of November came back home for Thanksgiving, which was a little late this year and then spent from just after Thanksgiving, um, until Christmas holiday, uh, down here in Florida, just prepping and getting ready. So it has to do with, uh, up at five thirty, six o'clock, usually in the gym before seven, um, back out on, on the, uh, the chipping and putting green eight thirty nine, And then I usually spend the entire day hitting balls, practicing, um, a lot of chipping and putting, a lot of bunker shots, a lot of long iron, mid iron, short iron play driver, um, just kind of your, your ins and outs. It's a kind of a daily grind, a lot of travel. I played, uh, played two tournaments, um, in that, in that time period after Thanksgiving, um, played pretty well, just kind of got my feet wet, tested out some equipment. Um, kind of what I saw was working and not working and, and got everything pretty dialed in for the upcoming week, which is kind of where you peak. There's a, there's really kind of three majors, I guess you would say, in the qualifying world, and that'd be the, the Q schools for Latin and and, uh, and Canada, and then the Corn Ferry Tour now. So, And then I guess China would be one as well. So four kind of total kind of peak weeks that you're looking to play really, really well. Um, 
So a lot, a lot does go into it just in terms of preparation and practice for sure. So now is, is your prep this week, as you mentioned everything that you were doing, is your prep this week for Q school going to be any different based on the course that you're playing you know, as opposed to, let's say, any of the tournaments that you played after Thanksgiving? Like, is it course dependent, or are you doing what you do for Nick for the tournament? So it's a a kind of a nice mixture. Um, I'm going to do kind of what I normally do to prepare short game-wise for sure, but I know that this golf course is pretty tight. You don't have to hit drive run on very many holes. But I know that you, when you hit it, you, you better be in the fairway. They call this place, uh, it's, it's Mission Inn. But they call it Mission Impossible as a kind of a running joke out there. Um, it's just a tight, tight little track, 7,000 yards, just kind of tight. So the next couple days, I will be hitting a lot of uh, drivers, hybrid club. I have a two hybrid that's like a four wood almost. Um, and, and my three iron off of tees, um, just in practice here at LPGA International, where I play out of in Daytona Beach. Um, but yeah, it's going to change a little bit, uh, just kind of course dependent, getting ready for the week, but short game stuff that doesn't change putting drills all the same. Um, but yeah, it's going to be, uh, kind of off the tee boxes and, and picking good sight lines and really committing to what I'm doing. So that's kind of the only thing that'll change. So I know obviously for Q schools, Q school is what it is. You know, you don't get to pick. The, the site. I know PJ Latino America has that kind of Latins only, that South American only yeah. uh, qualifier. But yeah. what do you feel in terms of uh, mission in how this course fits your game, your setup, how you're playing now? So, yeah, so I'm going to be dead honest with you. I actually have not, uh, haven't played it yet. Uh, it's going to be my first time playing there. I'll probably get down there um, Sunday. I'll play Sunday, Monday, and then the event on Tuesday. Um, but from what I've heard from some of the other guys, some of the guys I've played with uh, in Daytona Beach and some of the guys who have played it, um, it's, it's kind of should run right into my ballpark. It's kind of a ball strikers golf course. Um, good putting is necessary, but it's really mid to long irons and, and hitting it in the fairways, um, which I've been doing a really, really nice job of over the last month and a half. Um, so it's, it's going to be a, kind of a ball strikers paradise out there. The scores aren't super low. Uh, conditions get tricky out there, so it's it should be great. I'm super uh, super excited. Like I said, just ready to go. All right, you kind of almost answered my next question. It's like mind reading. So, <laughs> it, um, as far as score goes for this, right? Obviously, you can look through historically what the scores have been, and they're not going to change too much. No, are you yeah. a, are, are you a guy that's looking at like okay, I, I got to shoot this exact number or somewhere around there? you know, to, to, to get my status, or are you a guy that's like, look, I'm going out and I'm playing around a golf, whatever happens, happens each time. And I'm going to react to it as it goes. Yeah. So in the past I've done it, I've done it a kind of a mixture of both ways. If sometimes when I start staring at the scoreboard and staring at like that top 35 spot, I play to that top 35 spot, which isn't kind of what you, what you need, what you want. And if you make any mistakes, you're instead of 35, you're in 65th or a hundredth. So um, I think this time I'm, I'm going in with the mindset of just continue to make good swings, um, limit myself to any, any kind of dumb mental errors, um, and just kind of have some fun with it and, and see what happens. But when I start looking at like what wins or what comes in, the, what gets you six starts, what gets you 12 starts, what gets you status at all, that kind of is a, that's a tricky business because you start looking at that last number, let's say it's four over or five over or six over. And then let's say the first day you're, you're out there like, Oh, well, I'm four over after seven. So I really better start doing something. So it's like that added pressure. Um, but I think this time for sure, I'm going to go in and just play golf, just see what happens, see what the, uh, uh, the total score is after round four. So that's kind of my, my mindset this week. I'm, a, I'm ready to rock with it for sure. Yeah, I like that because, you know, a lot of times you get in the mindset of, okay, this is the number I need. And like you said, let's say I'm four over after the first nine or whatever. And then you start playing not your game. You start shooting at pins you shouldn't be. You start, you know, trying to really rip the driver. Then you pull one into the weeds, and now you're playing behind the eight ball. And I think that's, especially at the level that you're at, is something that is just kind of impossible to counteract. Even, you know, for as good as you guys are, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, if you get away from your game plan and you're not playing Nick Biondi golf anymore, 
you know, it's like, what am I doing out here? Yeah, exactly. And a lot of people don't realize that it's very easy to like to bogey every single hole. Like you can easily bogey every single hole because let's say, let's say you make two or three quick bogeys to start your day, bad drive off the first, whatever it might be, maybe a three putt somewhere in there and, and maybe you don't get one up and down. So let's say you're three over after three. Now that fourth hole, are you going to fire at a back left or back right pin and you're a little uncomfortable to start your day and, and short side yourself and make another bogey? Like you can easily go out and just be like, well, I kind of screwed up the first couple. So now I'm going to fire at all these pins and they're going to put them in the corners, um, back left, back right, front left, front right, maybe one or two in the middle, depending on what the green looks like. But you can easily go out and be like, wow, I just made a million bogeys out there. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of a fine line. You have to have a lot of self kind of just discipline, positive self-talk. And I think just straight up discipline is, uh, is huge. It's just knowing when to uh, shoot, at, shoot at a flag stick or, or maybe not so much shoot at the flag, but shoot at the spot you're looking at on the green, um, whether that be middle of the green or maybe two or three yards left or right of center and, and trying, to, trying to pick a good, good, good shot shape and, and execute. So discipline is going to be huge this week for sure. Yeah, I mean, that makes perfect sense. So I'm going to completely contradict everything that I just said and you just said and ask you yeah. what, what has historically won Q School for Latino America and then what has historically gotten you into – I don't even know what the number is for, for the Latino America tour. Really, top 40, top 30? I think, it's, I think it's top 35 maybe. Okay. I think it's 35 or 40. I, know, I think Canada's 40 and I think uh, Latin America is 35. So – um, I think the, the winning score, I don't think it's real low. I think it's anywhere from like 10 to 12 or 10 to 13. The golf course is tricky. Like I said, um, but the top 35 number might be anywhere from two or three to five or six, depending on what kind of weather we get going. Sure. Um, but it's, uh, I'm kind of looking to just like, like we talked about, just go out, hit good golf shots and, and, uh, and add them up at the end of the week. So it should be, uh, should be good. Now, for the people that are not kind of like it, the golf nerds like you and I are and other yeah. people that really listen to this podcast, you know, there's a lot of people that listen that that know Phil Mickelson and know Tiger Woods and stuff, and they don't, don't even realize how important these developmental tours are. For um, sure. You make top 35, and what is that giving you on PGA Tour Latino America next year? Or this year, so, sorry. So I think, yeah, so I think um... – uh, I don't know if I can answer this to, uh, to complete truth, um, but I think it's like one, the guy who wins gets full status, fully exempt, right? And then I think two to maybe 16 or 17 get the first six starts of the, of the tour. And then I think maybe like 16 or 17 to 20, 25 get maybe eight. And then from like, 2025 to 35 they just get conditional status so conditional status gets you like discounted rates at tpc courses um discounted rates into monday qualifying events uh for the corn ferry and the pga tour and the pga tour canada um but it doesn't get you any guaranteed starts which is a tough thing because you really don't want to go and travel someplace without having a guaranteed place in the event to go monday in especially if you're traveling uh, a fair fair bit of distance because it's going to cost you some some cash but um yeah i think i don't think you really want to be looking at the conditional number i think you definitely want a guaranteed start here or there for sure yeah i can't imagine unless you had a backer with you know deep deep pockets how with conditional status you can even think of traveling to central and south america to sit around and, and be an alternate in a field you know, yeah. for, for a, an event that's not even paying out a ton. Yeah. That, and, that, that blows my mind. And that's a tough thing, and a lot of guys do it. And there's certain – if you go on, uh, on Twitter and check out some of, those, some of those guys who are following the Monday, like the Monday qualifying stuff, there's some guys that do it. There's some guys who go, and they, and they try and either Monday into the event or they go and wait. And, um, and that's a tough deal, man. That really is because it's, you're burning up resources. Um, but – it's it's a double-edged sword because if you if you get into one let's say you get into one and you take care of business and you top five or, or win the event which everyone out there has the opportunity to do that because if you can qualify you can win the golf tournament um 
it's like it's kind of a double-edged sword it's a it could be a life-changing week or it could be a week where you're out five six grand like pretty easily snap of the fingers yeah i mean just 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 the flights down there and then looking for hotels and then having to uber around and and this that and the other and then fees into the tournaments um what what is what is latino america q school costing if you don't mind me asking as opposed to like corn ferry tour q school I think they're all pretty close. I think they run you anywhere. I can't remember what we paid. I think it's fifteen or sixteen hundred to. I think uh, Corn Ferry's twenty two or twenty three hundred. So they're all in that same kind of ballpark. Um, I think China might be a little bit cheaper because it's kind of expensive to get there. Um, but it's it's they're all in that kind of fifteen hundred to twenty five hundred dollar ballpark for the uh, four day event, and you get one practice round and uh, range balls all all five days of of the. Uh, championship proper i guess you would call it so um it's really not crazy but i mean it's tough it is tough to kind of rummage up the cash flow and and uh and go and go out and play it's it's a tricky it's a business like we always talk about monday qualifiers are a business you know you get a lot of people on a golf course most of the guys are paying four hundred dollars a pop and um let's go play best guy wins you know at, at least the tour is gracious enough to give you fruit range balls yeah, seriously. There's some uh, there's some spots that don't, man. It's it's funny. There's some some events don't. Well, you know, I I always like to ask people. I'm going to ask you the same thing. Like, when's yeah. the last time you had to actually pay for golf? Oh God, you don't want to hear this story. So, I'm with a good buddy of mine, Carl Puglisi. He's an assistant pro up in uh, the Scranton area, and he was down here with me at Daytona Beach uh, just before Christmas. So. We, I go, I look at him, I go, Carl, where do you want to go play, man? What, what do you want to do? He goes, why don't, we, why don't we take a little ride up to Sawgrass, see what we can do? And I'm thinking we're going to get a nice discounted rate. And uh, he's, he's an assistant, PGA of America, and, um, and I'm trying to play. Hopefully I get the status so I can go play there whenever I want. But um, so we walk in the pro shop, I get popped $520 a pop to go play Stop. Sawgrass. Yeah, 520 in the pouring rain. So safe to say it was very unenjoyable and I dunked one in the water on 17, which sucked even more, but yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. 520 shelled it out and uh, we had some fun. We had a lot of fun up there, but it was, uh, that's the last time I paid for golf. So like a month, yeah, a couple weeks ago, <laughs> it was crazy. Not even any discount at all because it was pouring out. Nothing, not a thing, but full like on season rate getting ready for christmas it was beautiful the last time i was at tpc sawgrass i was uh 10 or 11 i was playing a junior event there like a three-day junior event and uh i wanted to go back and check it out and see what the stadium course had to offer as a kind of a more accomplished player now and uh i got knocked around pretty good for the 520 before the round started but it was all in all in good fun that now, correct me if I'm wrong, but when it rains there, especially with the renovations, that place has turned into a swamp, right? When it rains, it was yeah, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't. I mean, the as, best yeah, shape. as far as roll goes, and, and yeah, and everything. yeah, we didn't get any roll. It was yeah, uh, we, we played the back tee uh, where they lay the tarp down and stuff for the golf tournament. Like the right, nets, there are no divots or anything, so it was pretty pure. Um, we had a, a good four caddy and a really good group, which made it nice. But yeah, uh, like that, maybe the fourth hole there is kind of a real tough drive or fifth hole. There is like a tough driving hole, kind of a, one of the longer holes on the front side for sure. And um, I hit driver three iron and I killed a drive and killed a three iron. And I still had like 60 yards into the green par four. <laughs> yeah. So and I'm pretty long. Like I, I consider myself to be pretty long and I'm sitting there like, wow, this is. This is crap. I, I and then you don't want to move up a tee because you just paid five twenty to play the golf course, so you don't want to move up. <laughs> so uh, yeah, they kind of they they get you by the balls there. Yeah, they had they had us both pretty good, but uh, it was it was a lot of fun. We had some fun, but yeah, last time I paid for golf to answer your question, TPC Sawgrass, and hopefully I never have to pay full full price there ever again as long as I live. <laughs> okay, and and so most people most people will tell me that and they'll say, well, yeah, it was this one place or it was you know this fancy course or something along those lines but then i always ask them i say when is the last time you've paid for range balls and most of them can snap off like the last four or five places that i've like nickel and dime them for range balls range balls yeah range balls i i uh 
I can't give you a number on range balls. I can't remember the last time I had to pick up range balls. Uh, probably, if I was going to guess, I was probably playing a public track somewhere and just rolled into the into the pro shop and just was like, hey, I'll take a medium bucket. <laughs> and we went and we played afterwards. But um, I can't remember the last time for sure. Now, is the PJ Tour Latino America kind of like the other tours where you're going to get that that player's card where, you know, if you need to, you can go into a pro shop and kind of flash it and be like, you know, look, dude, um, you know, I'm kind of a big deal. I play on tour, uh, Uh, you know, see what I can get off, you know, discount wise. For sure. Yeah. So um, I think it's one of those things similar to a a card carrying member of the uh, PJ of America. Um, where you can kind of roll into most places and just be like, Hey, can you help me out with, uh, with the rate today or whatever it might be? But, uh, but yeah, it, it should be something similar to that. Um, but they're, they're really good. Like the PGA of America is really good with their members like that. Um, just helping guys out to a lot of the guys don't pay for golf, um, necessarily, but they pay, I mean, they pay their dues annually or uh, biannually, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, so like you pay your dues, um, Let's say you get conditional status. If I get conditional status this week, um, you pay whatever it might be, two fifty or five hundred for your dues, and then you can really take advantage of all. Like I said, all the TPC tracks, and then most places they'll honor it uh, too. Even if it's not a TPC, and you're just rolling in someplace, like hey, I'm on the Latin American tour, the PJ Tour Canada, or the Corn Ferry tour. They kind of uh, they treat you pretty pretty well for sure. Nice. Well, it's definitely a good perk to have because, I mean, everyone out there listening knows just kind of how expensive golf can be, you know, from from the little things of purchasing clubs and, and balls and stuff like that. And then not even thinking about the actual playing cost of it. I mean, the, yeah. the cost leading up to just getting out on the course are, are astronomical. Um, what are you going to yeah. be what are you going to be <laughs> rocking with this year as far as clubs go? Oh, so clubs. Um that's a good question. I did a lot of testing the last couple of weeks. And like I said, I had some nice rounds with, with some of the stuff I was playing, but it looks like right now in the bag, I have a uh, sick putter, Greg Harrison over at sick golf in, in Orlando. Uh, he works with Bryson a little bit. And uh, Bryson, as you guys know, Bryson uses uh, the sick golf putter. Um, great technology in the thing. So I'm rolling with that this week and, and have for the last month, which is pretty good. Cause that's, <laughs> Putters don't usually stay in my bag for that long. So um, sick golf putter. Um, driver's going to be a ping G400 Max. Uh, I got a new hybrid in play, two, a little two hybrid, like I said earlier. Um, that's a G, uh, ping G410. Um, so it's kind of really nice, strong. A lot of good shots with it over the last couple of days. I, I did a lot of testing with it. Um, and then I've got some uh, kind of off-brand, no-marked irons. And I got a G410 uh, three iron and Vokey wedges, of course, because Mr. Vokey makes the best best wedges there. So um, that that's kind of what I'm rolling with uh, into 2020. The, the ping stuff has always been really good to me. Um, and uh, the irons, my irons look great. And these wedges are, are awesome as well. And if we get this putter rolling this week. It should be a, should be a really good one, hopefully a memorable one. No doubt. I mean, and, and I, I remember – you know, you were putting with a, a different one when we played and, and still rolling it pretty smooth there. So I can only imagine it's going to, uh, you know, increase with, with the flat stick you got in the bag now. Yeah, it should be, uh, should be good. Uh, Greg and I are actually working tomorrow uh, in the morning pretty early. So um, we're going to get it dialed in. He gets me up on that Quintech machine, kind of tells you what the ball's doing, how well it's rolling. Um so we might make some changes to maybe ball position or setup, whatever it might be, to really dial in the roll. Um, but I've been hitting my spots beautifully the last couple of weeks and, and made some really, really big improvements um, with, my, with my putting stroke, which was kind of a necessary evil um, over the last couple of years. So it's, uh, it's, it's always a work in progress, but I think we got it pretty dialed in uh, for, the, for the coming year. So it's exciting. Fantastic. Um, so listen, let's let's go back a little bit. Let's kind of reverse and, and go back to um, your start in golf. You know, I'd love to know. I mean, I kind of I, I do know, but I'd love for the people to know how you got interested in the game. So I got interested in, in golf, right? Uh, probably the early 2000s. I was uh, just a kid, six, seven, eight years old. Um, 
my grandfather. He was one of the first members at a uh, club there in Scranton, PA, uh, Glenmar National. And we hosted a web.com event from, I want to say, maybe 99 or 2000 until about 2007 or 8. Um, so I saw all the guys come through. I saw um, uh, Bubba Watson. I saw Jason Gore. We saw a little bit of Kucher. Um, God, Roland Thatcher. That's another name. Brad Adamonis is a guy I really respect. And I, I watched him play a little bit there. Um, and Brad and I actually played uh, a qualifier a couple of years ago, but so it all kind of started um, at Glen Morrow. My grandfather took me out and um, supported me in the game and, and uh, never really forced me to play, but always was like, Hey, why don't we go play golf? And then it got to a point where I was nagging him to go play some golf. So it, uh, yeah, just kind of all started there in, in music, Pennsylvania, playing golf there at Glen Morrow and, and, and watching some of the future um, best in the world players uh, play golf and, and compete at a very high level. So that's kind of my my deal in golf. Um, it's been uh, it's been a great journey so far. So how how did a kid from Northeast PA, which you know honestly is not a hotbed of golf, it's not Cali, it's not Texas, not Florida. Yeah, you know um, what what were you doing? in those winter months um i mean because you're at a higher elevation than than i than even i'm at you know yeah so what are you what are you doing in those winter months to keep the game sharp when you were young and even when you were you know high school age and, and beyond yeah so we had a couple pretty good facilities um riverfront sports complex is a good spot there in, in the scranton area um, I was actually there last week hitting some balls. Uh, they have like a really nice kind of indoor facility mats. Um, but you probably have 40 or 50 yards of ball flight to see, um, which was always really good. And then I, I had this nice setup in my basement that my grandpa kind of put together for me when I was a kid, um, probably 15, 20 yards in front of me. Um, just a night, really good net, really good mat. And uh, all the clubs that I've ever used are all kind of in my basement there. So that's that's kind of where I spent a lot of my last week and a half, um, kind of gearing up a little bit and testing stuff. And I, I have a flight scope as well. So I was just really working hard in there, uh, especially on wedges growing up, like hitting wedge shots. That was kind of huge, like three-quarter wedge shots. Um, the ceilings were high enough, thank God. But, um, yeah, it was it was – hard work indoors we could we could to say the very least like i'd i'd put a sweat on um in the winter time pretty quickly just working on my game it's just like if i was outside it was it was uh it was good it was really good to have those two facilities nice and then what about college when you went off and and kind yeah. of left you know left music and and uh ventured out uh, yeah, so I didn't go very far. I went uh, probably 20 minutes away from my house. But they actually put in at Marywood University right there in, in, uh, in Scranton, they put in a, a really, really nice uh, simulator room. Like I said, like all, great mat, solid putting green, a TV in there, couches to hang out in. Um, the coach at the time, Eric Grumman, he, uh, he kind of instituted that. And uh, it, was, it was great for our program for probably the last – uh, three years I was there. I don't think we had it my freshman year, but he put it in uh, for my last three. Um, and, and it was really great. It was just a kind of an old racquetball court and we flipped it around and, and uh, we made it kind of a golf simulator room. And um, it was, that was awesome too. It was great. It was great to kind of spend some time there and, and hang out with the guys. And uh, yeah, just another great facility. I completely forgot about that. That was uh, some of my best times were in that, that sim simulator room. Was that a, a pretty decent uh, benefit, only being 15, 20 minutes away from home, being able to stay a member at Glenmore, play there a ton? Yeah, big time. I, I kind of did everything. I looked at it this way when I was just getting out of high school. Um, I played really well my last year in the state championship, came in fifth place, and uh, I got some some really nice looks to go to some some pretty good schools. And I just kept thinking to myself, like, well, we have a lot of good schools in the Scranton area. Um, I really like home. Like I, I, I'm kind of a homebody. I like Pennsylvania. I really like Pennsylvania. Um, I like the area that I'm from. We kind of have everything there. It's great. Um, but I really just kind of wanted to find some place where I could grow my game, but also get a, a really nice education. And, and then to, uh, to make up a third point, just kind of like being close to home, it's a comfort factor, right? So 
just being comfortable, being able to grow my game and being able to uh, just really work hard on, on things in the off season. So it was kind of a, just a really nice triple threat. Um, but yeah, it was uh, kind of those three things kind of led me to, to work, work it out at home. So if you didn't turn professional in golf, what would you be doing? Ah, oh, geez. Well, my grandpa sold insurance and uh, a lot of my good buddies sell insurance. Uh, so I might be doing that, but I might, I, I, I don't know. I love teaching golf and I love helping, helping kids out, kid, young kids get into the game. So I, it would be in between uh, director of golf someplace or selling insurance. I don't really like sitting behind a desk, so it would probably be director of golf somewhere. Selling insurance sounds boring as hell. Yeah, so my, <laughs> the funny part was my a lot of my buddies they love it. They're like, yeah, I like it. They're making money, and and uh, it's a, I mean it's a good business. You play a lot of golf, but um, yeah, it'd probably be uh, be helping people play golf. I don't know. I don't know. It depends on how I'm feeling. <laughs> I could flip flop. <laughs> I could flip flop either way. You know. Well, I mean, uh, screw screw Plan B, right? You don't need it. A hundred percent. I think. Uh, I think it's always good to have an idea. Like if I were to fall and break both legs, what I would do. Right. But for right now, I'm uh, fully invested in, in what I'm doing on the golf course. So um, it's kind of a, a nice freedom to have because you do. It's it's very easy to second guess yourself and and uh, and second guess your abilities at times. And like no one really ever plans to struggle. Right. So when you start struggling, it's like, well, what am I doing? Where am I going? What's next? And, and a lot of thoughts kind of pop in, but um, like my coach said to me a couple of weeks ago, he said, man, no one ever really plans on, on just grinding on mini tours or struggling. Like it just, it's a, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Right. So you just have to really stay patient. And um, yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm fully, fully immersed in what I'm doing right now. So I'm excited. Well, yeah. Cause golf is one of those crazy games at the pro level where, you know, you literally could grind for two, three years and and then poof, all of a sudden, you know, a few more putts drop. You, you start getting like, you know, a stroke or two stroke gain on the field. You win twice. You know, you you you, you level up to the Corn Ferry Tour. Yeah. You win on that or you have a hot week during Q school. And next thing you know, a year and a half from grinding it out and like, you know, these uh, these shanty towns of Central America, you're out yeah. playing Tory Pines. Yeah, it's um, it's amazing. I look at some of those guys, man, like uh, like Nate Lashley, 30, 30, he was 31 or 32-year-old rookie, uh, Scotty Harrington, like 36, 37-year-old rookie. It's just guys like you, you have to pay your dues, right? And I think um, there's a fine line between like paying my dues and being 43, and there's a fine line between just like doing things the right way each and every day to continue to improve, Um and I think that's kind of what a lot of those guys do. It's like it's rare to see a guy like Joaquin Neiman or John Rahm come out at 22, 21, 23 and like really dominate golf and, and notch a couple wins. And, and it's just it's harder than that. Right. So um, I think for the average person listening or the average person who enjoys uh, their local really high level amateur players who might be trying to turn pro in somewhere in America or anywhere in the world. If they're listening, I think it's they have to realize that it is harder than a snap of the finger. Oh, wow, you're on the PGA Tour. It just doesn't work that way. So it, ta- it does. It takes time. It takes a, a massive amount of heart and skill and, and time. Just It just is what it is. Well, I think the PGA Tour itself was is one of the biggest obstacles to getting out on the PGA Tour. You know, there's no more Q school nowadays for PGA Tour. I mean, you're mandated literally yeah. to play the corn ferry tour now. And then, you know, like you, you're literally mandated to kind of work your way up the levels of the ladder, the rungs of the ladder to get to the PGA tour. So you don't have these stories anymore where, you know, this, this unknown survives this, you know, six day Q school finishes top 10 comes out on tour, you know, has three or four top tens wins and all of a sudden becomes a household name. Nowadays it's, Okay, well, yeah, I remember Nick Beyond. I remember him when he was on the PGA Tour Latino America. Oh, yeah, then I remember seeing him at a Corn Ferry Tour event, you know? And then it's like it, – it's almost like minor league baseball now. Yeah, exactly. That's And that's the best way – whenever I explain it to someone, I always – the first thing I ask, do you, do you watch any baseball? I go, okay, Yeah, best well, analogy. Single A, double A, triple A, major league. So that's the best way to go. So 
like state opens, stuff like that, mini tour events, single A, double A, Latin America, Canada, uh, China, triple A, Corn Ferry Tour, PGA Tour, Major League Baseball. So that's kind of the best way that I can describe it. Um, we're big baseball fans in my house. So um, that's kind of how I explain it to people and, and people seem to grab it that way. But yeah, you're 100% right. It's, um, it's tough because there is no... I think it was 2010 or 11 where it was the last year where you can go straight from being Joe Schmo off the street to playing the PGA tour, making, making millions of dollars. So it is, uh, it's just, it's tough. It's just time. It's just a lot of time. So when people say like, Oh, like how long do you think that'll take? Well, it's like, well, I'm not planning to struggle. So hopefully it just takes three years click and I'm there. But if there is a, a bump, any type of bump in the road, you can miss a tee time and, and, something happens and you miss an event or you miss a flight and then you miss your car by $70 or a hundred dollars. So it's like, it's crazy. There's just a lot of different factors that go into the, uh, into the show here. So it's uh, it is tough to get out there. So now one of the things I'm always interested in with guys that are going through Q school or on these lower rung tours is how was it that this tour per se caught your eye and did you give any thought to the challenge tour out in Europe and going that route instead? Yeah. So I, I did. Um, so my buddy, Brandon Matthews, he was out on the Latin tour. He's a corn fairy guy and he kind of bounced the last couple of years between corn fairy and Latin. Um, but he's a great player and a, and a great person as well. And, uh, and I saw he had a lot of success out there on the, on the Latin tour. Um, and I just kind of don't know enough about the European Challenge Tour. I know it's a great tour. Um, you can go right from the Challenge Tour. If you play well, you get up to the European Tour, which is equal just under the PGA Tour, right? So um, I know that's a, it's a great, great proving ground. A lot, of, a lot of guys go that way. Peter Uline went that way. Um, a couple other guys have, have gone that way. But I just don't know. I just didn't know enough about it. So I kind of uh, didn't do my research, let's say. But um, the Latin tour, it's just kind of caught my eye just from my, my guy, Brandon, who, who uh, plays out there. So it's kind of mo- most people uh, most people know Brandon Matthews from the incident that happened at the last uh, Latino tour event. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a fan, a uh, special needs fan made some noise as he was going to roll a putt on the last hole that would have had him. Uh, maybe extending the playoff or winning the golf tournament, or I can't remember what it was exactly, but um, he went over to the, to the guy and just said, Hey man, no worries. And, and, and um, just, just, he's just a good human being. So um, yeah, Brandon, he's a, he's a good dude for sure. Um, Yeah. He, he was out there and is out there now. Um, And um, I'm hopefully I'm going to cherry pick his brain a little bit after this week and, and see what events are really good and, and it's just nice to have any type of set schedule would be uh, would be a good thing, uh, for sure. Yeah, just knowing where home base is going to be next yeah. year, it's got to put your mind at ease. Yeah, absolutely. It's just it's great to have a schedule. Like I'm going to be able to, regardless what happens. Let's say I miss this week and and miss Canada, I'm going to have a schedule of playing some type of events, right? Like starting with probably U.S. Open qualifying in May. Um, all the way into like state opens of Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire, play everywhere. Every, every probably week and a half, you're going to have an opportunity to play. And if you go a little bit further south, you're going to have a, an opportunity to play every week. So um, it's, I'm not really going to be hurting for a schedule, but a schedule that can provide some status on any tour, that's kind of a uh, notch above kind of traveling to state opens state opens are great you can make some money playing state opens and you learn how to travel and how to compete and how to kind of manage yourself right um but kind of that next level is always what you're striving for um in golf yeah no that's uh that that's the goal right the goal is to is to have a home every year and to be able to sit down in let's say january and just plan out your schedule plan out your year Definitely, hundred percent. Plan out how I'm going to get there, what the what the golf course looks like, and, and just kind of building on uh, previous years. So, uh, like I said, I'm I'm excited to uh, to see where it goes this week, and uh, 
God willing, I, I play well and, uh, and and earn my earn my way a little bit here. So it's it should be uh, should be uh, amazing. So I, I spoke with Brian Mogg uh, a little bit actually just prior to you know getting on on the call with you and asked him because he's a guy that qualified for Latino America last year through Q school. That was the first Q school he did. And, um, you know, friend of the pod. And I said, is there anything that I should mention? Is there anything that, you know, you think would be good advice for someone? And he said, just to kind of put your mind at ease when you're not playing, like just find something else to do, whether it's going to the beach or, or whatnot. Um, so I'll ask you, what, what plans do you have once you're done to decompress from the course? And what do you do outside of, of golf? Like, you know, what is, what can we find Nick Biondi doing, you know, out in his free time? So that's a good question. So, uh, things that I like to do to decompress after a round, let's say it's a, a competitive round of golf. Usually I'll go back to the hotel or I'll go, um, kind of go relax for a little bit, maybe an hour, two hours, um, head back to the golf course, maybe just do a little putting or chipping, whatever it might be. Um, kind of like round dependent. Like if I shoot 63, I might go relax for a little bit longer and then go maybe hit a couple putts for 30 minutes. Um, but it's kind of round dependent on how I'm, how I'm feeling, but it's kind of, yeah, like, I think, I think that's a, a good way that Brian put it. It's just kind of relax, kind of get out of your own, get out of your own way. Let's say, um, what do I like to do in my free time? Like, let's say I'm home, uh, and just kind of not playing golf. Let's say it's dark. It's eight o'clock or something. So I like, uh, I like cooking. I'm, I, I like cooking it up a little bit. I'm good with the grill, you know, um, make myself a nice dinner probably. Um, I watch uh, a lot of Netflix. That's kind of my go-to. I just finished that show you, um, on Netflix, which is kind of crazy, but, um, yeah, I'm kind of a, a Netflix guy, uh, cooking guy. And I started playing guitar probably, uh, probably three months ago now four probably four months ago. I, I just, uh, picked it up and I was like, I'm going to try and learn how to play this thing. And I'm like a 20 handicap playing guitar. So <laughs> it's, uh, but I, I like it. I enjoy it. It's something that gets my mind off things. So um, those are kind of my go-to deals. Yeah, it's it's always interesting because, you know, like guys like me, I, I, you know, what's my hobby? Obviously golf, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. And yeah. then so when you when you got somebody that's so deeply involved in the game and it becomes, you know, almost a job at times, even though you're playing a game, it's still your livelihood. It's always interesting to see what those guys do because all of us, love it so much as fans because golf is our hobby, you yeah. know? Yeah. I think it's a, it's kind of a beautiful obsession you could say, right? Like if, like anyone who obsession really, played, of, you know, addiction. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone who, <laughs> anyone who loves to play golf, man, it's like, uh, once you get bit by that bug, it's tough to run away from it. It's, uh, it's just, I, I, I do, I, I'm, I find myself watching a fair amount of golf channel. Like I like just kind of being, being always, it's usually always on the TV in my house, whether I'm watching it or my grandma's watching it, it's usually always on somewhere. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, just kind of, it's a part of, it's a part of who we are. Um, so, but yeah, I, uh, I just, I try and get away from it when I can, when I feel like it, like when I get a little burnt where I'm like, I got to shut this off. Like I was watching something the other day. Might, it might have been, it was yesterday, we were watching the Hawaii tournament, and I looked at my grandma, like, I gotta shut this off, I can't watch this anymore, I'm getting uh, kind of tired of, of watching golf, so we put something else on, but yeah, it's uh, for sure, it's once that, once that monkey's on your back, it's tough to get him off, it's, uh, golf's an amazing deal. Yeah, I'll uh, 100% agree, I mean, the, the addiction part of it is, you know, obviously a healthy addiction as long as you yeah. don't, you know, mortgage the house to buy clubs and stuff <laughs> like that. But uh, it, it's definitely, definitely uh, it's it, it's definitely something that just brings, you know, I, I talk about it all the time in the pod. I'm sure people are sick of hearing it. And they'll message me on Instagram that they are. I know that. But, <laughs> you know, you, you, you hear all the time, like, there's no other sport that that you can connect with somebody so deeply with. with I mean, you know, I played one round of golf with you and then – you know, honestly, we probably hung out afterwards for just as long as we played that round of golf. Definitely. Um, and, and, you know, automatically, you know, somebody, you understand what they're about. You, you get a great grasp of who they are as a person. And that can be as something as simple as playing 18 holes with them. Yeah. I, and I think, I think like golf and business go hand in hand in that aspect. It's like, 
you kind of have a pretty good idea of who that person who that person is, who that person might become. Um, golf's just kind of a beautiful like evolution, right? It's just like you're out there, you're together, you're, you're playing by a, a set of rules for the most part. Um, and uh, it's just like that, that enjoyment factor. Like if you don't enjoy playing golf on like a great golf course at a great time of day and you guys have nothing to do but go hang out afterwards and maybe grab a beer or two and some wings or something, if you don't like that, you don't like home cooking, man. Like that is, <laughs> that is as good as it gets. Um, and there's a lot of guys, there's a lot of guys like you and I out there and it's uh, it is, it's just an enjoyable deal for sure. So let's, let's talk real quick about kind of how you and I met and how we, you know, originally uh, got to know each other yeah. and that's through, you know, a mutual sponsor of yeah. ours, which uh, is hilarious because my phone, I, I don't know if you have yours on you. <laughs> I got 23 notifications. <laughs> right now. These guys <laughs> has been has been blowing up um, yeah. with kind of the Boston Scott golf crew. Uh, Steve yeah. just Steve is is on the hunt right now for an alligator skin belt and just purchase one. So that's what he's sending <laughs> us pictures of uh, as we as we do this. I said, Steve, I said, you know, Nick and I are kind of doing a podcast right now. I was like, I don't care. I'm looking for an alligator skin belt. <laughs> I love that that cognac ostrich that he's got there. That one's pretty nice for Agler. Yeah, um, but yeah, those guys, those guys, Chris and Steve, they've been uh, they've been so good to me over the last few months here, um, and I, I want to thank them on the pod right right now for uh, just their their generosity and their hospitality with with bringing me on their team. Um, like we talked about f- with those guys in the in the Boston Scott pod, it's just kind of like good timing, good people good fit and it and it all seems to work out but yeah they're uh those guys are great right so so how was it that you initially got hooked up with them because you know they're they're your apparel guys i mean you're going to be wearing boston scott golf uh head to toe when you're out at q school when you're on the pga tour latino america like like that's it you're you're the dude flying the flag for this brand so give people a little insight as to how that got started and then where it goes from here. Yeah. So I, I reached out to, uh, to Steve there on, uh, on Instagram and I was just like, Hey, I, I really like your styles and everything. And I, and I it's, and I saw that it, it says, uh, coming fall of 2019 on the, on the page. So I said, Oh man, this is good. It's a kind of a fresh company. And, and I was with a, another company for a, a few years there, probably four or five years. Um, where they were kind of getting me stuff at a really, really great discount. The stuff was pretty nice and, and uh, just kind of looking to make like a style move as we, as we tend to do, as we get a little older, whatever it might be. Um, so I just reached out. I said, Hey, love your, uh, love your styles. Looks like the stuff is really good. Uh, love to work with you guys at some point. This guy tries to send me a coupon code, like 20% off your next visit to Boston Scott golf. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm like, this is what we need to do. I want to go, <laughs> I want to go full blown gear, send it out to me. And then we'll go from there. We'll meet up and we'll, and we'll get this ball rolling here. And, uh, and then I think he realized like, Oh wow, this kid isn't, uh, isn't some scrub off the street. And, uh, and it just kind of all worked out. We hit it off. We met up probably a week later and then, uh, we talk every couple days. Uh, the, those guys are, those guys are great. So um, but yeah, it is, uh, like you said, flying the flag of Boston Scott, uh, hopefully with a lot of red numbers and a lot of good scores, but it's, uh, it's been a, it's been a real treat working with them for sure. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I can't, I can't say a, a single bad word about anybody in the program, in the company. I mean, uh, you know, just it, look, even if they never sent me another thing again, which, you know, obviously Steve and Chris, I really don't mean, but even if they never sent me another thing again, like just the text thread that the four of us have going is just, you know, at times astronomically hilarious. It's been, uh, it's been really funny. We had a great time talking a uh, little president's cup the other day <laughs> and, uh, it was a real treat, but yeah, that's the text thread we have going right now is, uh, it uh, it needs to be published somewhere in an encyclopedia at some point in time because it's classic. 
Yeah, I think maybe what we'll do is maybe one day down the line, like for show 500, is we'll sit down and we'll just reenact our parts and just go over reading of everything that went into it. Oh, that would be classic. That'd be awesome. <laughs> oh, man. Um, All right. Um, but let me get you let me get you out of here on this. People always love hearing best shot, worst shot uh, that you hit, or at least that you can remember. I know a lot of times worst shots you kind of plug out of your memory. Yeah. But um, if you can if you can whittle them down, obviously there's been tens of thousands. But if yeah. you can whittle them down, a lot. what what would your best shot, what would your worst shot be? Oh man. Okay, we can go uh worst shot is uh I'm in, I'm a senior in college and we're playing our conference championships. And I think I'm in, I'm one or two back of the lead to start the day. And, uh, it got rain. It ended up getting rained out like the last seven or eight holes, whatever. But so I end up, I end up losing the event, but off the first tee, it start it starts to rain a little bit. And I'm using like this 45 and a half inch driver. I've got long arms. So all my clubs are pretty short. This driver is too long for me, like a hundred percent too long. And, um, I make such a bad swing and the, uh, the fairways probably it's a Mazellum Springs golf club. And, uh, the fairway is probably 75 yards wide, like from out of bounds to out of bounds, it's probably 120 yards. Right. So I hit this thing so high, right. And it hits like almost hits my car in the park. <laughs> right. And it bounces off a tree bounces back towards being inbounds, but I'm out of bounds by like an inch and a half. So I got to go back to the tee, reload another ball. And then I almost did the exact same thing. So those would be my two worst ones. Um, and then my best shot, oh man, under pressure or just best shot ever playing. Oh, I, I like, I think under pressure, I think a shot under pressure is, yeah, is a hundred times more difficult to pull off than when you're, playing around with your buddies because because if you're out with your buddies i mean you can get a lunky bounce here or there yeah. you know yeah, there's so many sure. rounds there's so many rounds like that so the the rounds under pressure first off the shots are limited because there's not many you know that yeah. you play under true pressure so yeah i'd like to hear that one okay so we're gonna go um the eighth hole at glenmar we're playing the club championship um i'm probably like 13 or 14 I'm probably 12 or 13 and I'm a huge tiger fan at this point in time. Right. Like just tiger is it. He is the sun and the moon. He's the man. Right. And he still is. He's a needle. Right. Um, so I'm wearing my long pants, red shirt, Sunday charge right now. And, um, I was like 12 or 15 back. I had no chance of winning, but I'm rocking it. And, uh, the eighth hole Glamara, I hit this snap hook onto like this maintenance road. And now I've got to hit another snap hook over a ravine, like a gully ravine that's a ha all hazard. Um, and the pin's right in the front, like the front right corner. And I've got to hit probably off these grass clippings maintenance road. I've got to hit probably a 70-yard snap hook onto the green to try and do anything. It was a complete, like, psycho shot, right? But I think Tiger had just, like, I just watched Tiger, like, hit all these awesome shots. I don't know if it was... Might have been the U.S. Open, Torrey Pines, and he was hitting all these shots. He's limping around, broken legs. So I tried to embody it. Yeah, 2008. Eight, yeah. So I hit this shot, comes off perfect, goes like two and a half feet from the hole, left of the flag. Like there's, if we go there today, you, you will look at this shot and go, you went through, you went under these trees, and then the ball rose, and then it hooked 60 yards. <laughs> like you, the shot is, like when I go there now, like let's say I'm playing with someone, they hit it there. Or I'm over there, something happened, something bad happened. When I check out that spot now, I'm like, wow. <laughs> 24-year-old me would chip that ball right out and just try and make four. But 13-year-old <laughs> me hit like seven iron from 155 or something and hit a huge hook. And, and uh, that's probably my best shot under any type of pressure tr trying to really hit a shot in a tournament. So that would be it. That would be my best one. That's that sounds pretty amazing, honestly. Yeah, it's probably it's probably one of those things like the ignorance of youth. You know, you just don't even yeah. think about it. You just do yeah. it. I remember growing up and hitting putt, like even putting, like hitting putts eight feet by, and then people would be like, "Why? Are you, what are you doing?" I'm like, "Well, I wanted to make the first one, and I know I'm not going to miss the second one, so screw it. <laughs> Let's do it." Well, yeah, uh, there's 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 no scar tissue. There's, there's nothing no built tissue. up. Exactly. It's not like let's try and three putt from forty feet. It's like I'm trying to make this thing. 
Yeah, my 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 kids are the same way, and and like at times I have to rein myself in from saying like, oh hey, hit it a little bit easier. Like maybe we can get it to die around the hole. Then I'm like, you know what? That's no. Let them just let them go. Let them do it. I think the two worst things you could do is try and have a kid lat like really lag putt, like from let's say he's got a twenty footer. Let him try and make that thing. Like let him hit it six, seven, eight feet past. Like be aggressive, and then stopping a young kid from hitting flop shots. I think hitting flop shots and keeping your creativity around the greens, like like wide open flop shot, bunker shots, and and uh, just trying to hit it straight up in the air. I think kids love doing that. I know I did. And I think when you try and get a kid to hit like a seven iron bump and run, they're not going to like it. And it just, I think it creeps into like just some weird habits too of, of not being able to keep accelerating and keep aggressive. So I'd say flop shots and, uh, and let them try and make the 30 footers. I like that. Hey, that's yeah. good advice to any, any of the young listeners out there, any of the listeners that, that have kids that are getting into the game. Though, yeah, those would be my two is, is let them go. Just let them go. Hit it hard. Yeah, because, you know, it's funny because, you know, a lot of the teachers that I see are always trying to kind of groove a kid's swing to like hit middle of the fairway, but they'll do it by kind of slowing down their swing or really shortening it. And I think like you can always, you can always do that, but I think there's only a certain period of time in the golf swing where kids are are limber uh, enough and and getting kind of their strength up that allows them to really accelerate the club head. And I think when they're younger, if you teach them to rein that back, even in the back of your mind, it it starts to creep in when you get older. And then people never learn how to increase that club head speed because they're always scared to. Yeah. I I think that's such a huge thing. Um, One of my good buddies, Christian Davis, he he was a division one player at Davidson college um, in North Carolina. And he always said, to me as a kid, he said he was taught, he, this guy smashes it, right? And he, he says that he was always taught to hit it hard. Just hit it hard first, and then we'll worry about controlling it after. Um, that's kind of how what he was brought up on and, and how he was taught. But Christian's a great player and a, a great person and friend. But that is such a, such a great thing to teach a kid is to, like, just smash it. Like, my grandpa would just be like, well, he'd always say swing as hard as you want without losing your balance. And I think he got that from Tiger. Tiger's dad, but it was just swing as hard as you possibly can without falling over. That was kind of it. Um, but a lot of people, like you said, yeah, they try and teach like positions. And I think teaching positions to an eight year old or a 10 year old or a 12 year old is kind of tough. I think you got to let them go until they're, until they get into high school. Yeah. Let them be athletic. That's, exactly. that's the biggest thing that people yeah. are, are taking away the athleticism in golf. And if you look at the guys out on tour now, they're just straight athletes like yeah there's a jim herman walking around out there you know who looks like your dad but these guys are lit i mean you see them out on tour and people say all the time like dude i saw ricky fowler and 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 jordan spieth and they're like my height i'm like okay that's that's true like height wise they're not very big but you can't get your body into those positions because you're not an athlete yeah and it has so much to do with like creating angles and using the ground and like even even Jim Herman, who I'm like, I don't know Jim personally, but I I don't imagine that he looks like someone who can dunk a basketball and and uh, he and, does not and go crazy, right? But even guys like that, it's like, man, their hand eye is so, their hand eye coordination is so great, uh, otherworldly. Uh, yeah, and they use the ground so well, and it's and it's uh, just kind of things like that. That you're right, people don't realize. Like Ricky Fowler, he says he's five seven, five eight on a good day, which is like, okay, well. How does Ricky hit it, carry it 320 yards? He uses the ground so well, and he pushes, and he creates all these different levers and forces throughout his, his body, and he, the dude smashes it. Like, I look at uh, uh, who's a guy out there now that just smashes it that's like a smaller dude. Um, I mean, J- Justin Thomas is probably uh, Tom- the best yeah. example. Thomas, that yeah, that's where I'm going. He's like, let's say he's – like six foot five ten five, he is ten. not he he's yeah maybe five what is ten. He? yeah five i ten? think he's i think he's probably five nine realistically like, that dude is so yeah and they and like like we talk about they pick their own height height and weight like i just did of the course. survey for latin america i put i was five nine i think i'm like five eight on a good day but and you like, should have put six two <laughs> six two, two, 20, six, two yeah, exactly all muscle um 
But yeah, JT, I think that guy is like just crazy explosive. But look at how he uses the ground. Like if you go watch a slow-mo of Justin Thomas's footwork right now, you're going to see both feet off the ground like a Lexi Thompson or a Laura Davies even if we go back in time a little bit. But you got to use the ground. You got to push. But I tell you what, Justin Thomas wasn't told, yo, Justin, you're seven years old, but slow down, slow your swing down a little bit, man. He was smashing it. He smashed the guy smashes it. Yeah. And that's, that's what you got to do. You got to start that way. You got to end that way. You know, exactly. Exactly. That's what I would say to, uh, to anyone who's getting their kids involved in golf for sure. All right. So listen, let, um, give people just a recap again of when Q school is how people can find you, your website, Instagram handle, all that stuff. So, so everyone that's listening, you know, can jump on board and, and follow your journey. Yeah, so we go uh, Latin America Q School. You can find it right on their website, uh, pjtourlatinamerica.com, and that's uh, January 7th to the 10th, 10th uh, this coming Tuesday to Thursday, or Tuesday to Friday, excuse me. And then my handles are, I've got an Instagram, uh, Biondi, my last name, B-I-O-N-D-I, 1995. Uh, my Twitter is Nick Biondi Golf, just my name and, and golf. And then my website is nb-golf.com. So those are, my, uh, those are my spots. And then I have a Facebook as well, just Nick Biondi. Uh, friend me if you want it. But um, yeah, that's it. I'm, I'm excited to get going here and it uh, should be a great week. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Of course, man. I can I cannot wish you any more luck, uh, you know, than I than I want to have occur to you because, you know, only great things ahead, I'm sure. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll get on the pot again after uh, after a really nice week here. So I'm excited. Yeah, most definitely. All right, people. So either get busy golfing or get busy dying.